0: This morning's scripture reading is from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians chapter 4 verses 7 to 18 we now have this light shining in our hearts but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure this makes it clear that our great powers from God and not from ourselves we are pressed on every side by troubles but we are not crushed we are perplexed but not driven to despair we are hunted down but never abandoned by God we get knocked down but we're not destroyed through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. We live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus. And present us to himself together with you all of this is for your benefit and as God's grace reaches more and more people there will be great Thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory that is why we never give up though our bodies are dying our spirits are being renewed every day for our present troubles are small and won't last very long yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever so we don't look at the troubles we can see now rather we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things that we cannot see will last forever. The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Janine, reading our text this morning. When we were in seminary, there were a ton of uh, books on leadership. I mean, there wasn't a ton of uh, books on leadership. But today, there are a lot of books being written on leadership. Uh, Some of you enjoy reading those kind of books. A great descriptor that uh, came across uh, recently at the Leadership Summit uh, from Willow Creek positioned an effective leader as being three things. Uh, Humble, hungry, and smart. Uh, Every strong leader has an unmistakable air about them that can be simply be described as humble. They're not enamored by their own strengths or gifts. They see themselves as blessed. They're honored to serve others with how God has blessed them and made them. And they serve with a wonderful humility. And that humility is very attractive to other people. And secondly, every effective leader is hungry. Hungry to do the work that they feel directed to do. The word hungry meaning passionate. They are passionately engaged in their work and in their leadership. And then every effective leader is smart. But not maybe how you would think. Not smart according to IQ, but smart according to EQ. Emotional intelligence. Good leaders are smart. And that is that they're intuitive, they're, they're aware of who they are, they're, they have a good self-awareness, they're aware of other people, they have a good sense of who people are and they can, they can discern what, what's going on. And they are good managers of relationships, all of which is critical to effective leadership. Now, Second Corinthians, uh, if you'll turn with me, I hope you have your Bible with you or I know you have a, have a phone, Uh, The the letter we're in this morning is 2 Corinthians, and it's a a book on leadership. And you can see how Paul had to put together humble, hungry, and smart uh, in this letter. It's been said about 2 Corinthians that if you're a man or woman preparing for pastoral ministry, that this letter should be required reading. No one should ever enter the pastoral ministry without having thoroughly read this letter. I didn't know that when I started the pastoral journey years ago. I think if I'd have studied it too closely, it would have just scared me off. There's something about being a little naive that's just very helpful. Just stay naive. The church at Corinth was a bit of a toughie for Paul. Uh, Corinth was a church filled with division it had doctrinal issues, it had some issues of sexual impropriety. In general it was a church that just kinda needed to grow up. Uh, where do you get the modeling if you've never been part of a church family that walks with God? And this was a brand new brand new church, uh, a, a church plant as we say. They were all new followers and so there were a lot of, a lot of teaching, a lot of discipleship that was needed. Uh, Corinth was a seaport. Uh, It was a strategic city located on the trade routes. So that meant a lot of cultures, religious thought, philosophies found fertile ground in Corinth. Uh, It was a dark city with uh, the worship of many gods and temple worship filled with prostitutes. And, you know, they got things pretty mixed up at Corinth. But into this challenging culture, a church was birthed. And the church was a tough one to shepherd in the sense that it didn't yield easily to leadership. And much of the Apostle Paul's suffering in connection with the Corinthian church came from the savage attacks against him by a group of false apostles. The major theme of this epistle is Paul's defense of his integrity and his apostleship. And I won't detail too much of it for you, but uh, here's how Paul responded uh, to all the criticism that was coming his way. So humble, hungry, and smart. While living in Ephesus, Paul sent Timothy to check in on the church in Corinth. So Paul says, Timothy, you go down to Corinth... You see how they're doing down there. And, and Timothy just no sooner had gotten there and he reported back to Paul that the church was going south fast. And Paul then he decided to make a visit and he did, but he got beat up when he went there. Not physically, but, but certainly emotionally. They threw a lot of stuff at Paul. And this is referred to as... In, in Paul's writings, as the painful visit. The painful visit. Did you ever have a painful visit with someone and you walk away and say, oh, that was, that was awkward. Uh, and in this case, not only awkward, brutal. That was brutal. 2 Corinthians two one. Paul writes, So I decided that I would not bring you grief with another painful visit. I'm not coming back again." So Paul walked away from Corinth. He was devastated. Uh, He was almost paralyzed, maybe a little too strong, but he was flabbergasted, uh, wounded. He was wounded. He said, I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. I'm not going to do this again. (laughs) I'm not going to go back into that. But by the time he got back to Ephesus, he had been doing a lot of thinking and praying. It helps to walk. So if you're ever really frustrated, maybe you just need to walk it out. And it was about a hundred miles back to Ephesus. He walked it out. In his mind, in those, with all those steps, he put together a letter that probably would be considered a zinger. It was called the severe letter, uh, 2 Corinthians 2 verses 3 and 4. Uh, because it was pretty severe. I wrote that letter in great anguish with a troubled heart and many tears I didn't want to grieve you but I wanted to let you know how much, I, how much love I have for you uh, 2 Corinthians 2.4 uh, so Paul wrote the letter he gave it to Titus and had Titus deliver it back to the Corinthian church now that letter has been lost too bad we'd love to read that letter well what did he say uh... because apparently he didn't spare too much in that letter it was a letter of great emotion there were probably more tears than ink on the parchment it was a severe letter but it was written as he said because he loved them he was hurt by them but only because he loved them so much and the news came back that the letter had actually hit the mark Paul called for repentance and praise God the church did an amazing turnaround the majority of the church came back to their loyalty to Paul uh, in defense of his apostleship but best of all they came back to the gospel they came back to Jesus Uh, some still rejected his authority so Paul then writes this magnificent letter of 2 Corinthians as he begins to make plans to return for a third visit. Now all that stuff, I hope you got some of it sorted out. So this is just a very quick context for the heart of what Paul wants to say to his brothers and sisters in Christ in Corinth. And he actually uses these words in the first letter. Uh, He said, I came to you in weakness. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, so it was no easy matter for Paul. Paul was experiencing the challenges of leadership, humble, hungry, smart. but just because he had those things, it wasn 't easy. Paul was experiencing the challenge of leadership, and he was feeling really weak and he saw a church that it was actually feeling very weak sometimes as we journey through the Christian life we feel very weak (laughs) anybody ever been there? yeah anybody there right now? sometimes when we have been wounded we feel weak sometimes when we have been physically exhausted we feel very weak Sometimes when there's been a death in the family, we feel very weak. Sometimes if we have taken a financial hit, we, t- we feel very weak. Sometimes if we just had words with our spouse or a friend, we feel weak. Sometimes if we just flubbed up on something, we just blew it. Uh, that was important. We feel weak. I got a phone call some time ago. My friend had a little cyst removed from, from his neck no big deal 20 minutes you're out of there well it turned out to be four hours and the little lump turned out to be cancerous and then the lymph nodes looked a little strange and they turned out to be cancerous and then a little tumor at the base of the tongue and it turned out to be cancerous and suddenly from the strength of where we normally operate Our lives just like, whoa, into weakness. What does all of that mean? How serious is this? And so suddenly from strength to weakness, it can happen so quickly. Suddenly from the mountaintop to the valley. You see, it happens in so many ways. And when Paul got pounded from the left and the right, he describes himself then as a lowly clay pot. That's how he was feeling. He stresses his human weakness and his inadequacy. Now the media reminds us all of the weakness that's in our world. We just Every time we turn on the television, really you could see oh, there's weakness there, there's weakness there. Weakness in Italy these days with the earthquake, families devastated, no home to go back to. Weakness in Syria, Aleppo, Damascus. Weakness in Turkey, that nation is in turmoil the world is a powder keg the world is witnessing a terrorist organization that has gone over the top in its cruelty and hatred for humanity especially for Christians And I know you're praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ and and I know that God's sovereign over our lives regardless of what we're facing but often we're brought to our knees through the challenges of life there are many times in our Christian experience when we seem to operate out of our weakness and not our strength and sometimes we worry about that or we think that's that's not good but I want to hitch on to what I think is the major motif of this letter and you keep hearing that theme that weakness is the source of strength you've heard it weakness is the source of strength and suffering is the vehicle for God's power and glory and you can certainly trace that thread through this letter Uh, chapter 4 verses 7 to 12 he writes that we now have this light we have this light you can just picture it shining in our hearts but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure Paul says that makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves because the treasure is not who we are we are so weak we're just like fragile clay pots we can be broken at any time clay pots were dime a dozen in those days they were very ordinary they were everywhere they were everywhere in the homes of common people People used a pot for a while. If it got cracked too badly, they threw it up, got another one. And Paul creates this, this great juxtaposition that God has taken this great treasure, the life of Christ. And where did he put it? Put it in your heart. Put it in your soul. Put it in you. And you carry that. And he placed it in people like you and me, who are as common and fragile as clay pots. Seems odd, doesn't it? That why would God store something so valuable in a container so ordinary and so fragile? Now, Paul doesn't over-irrigate this thought, at least I don't think he does, but my is it ever life changing what he has to say and I think I I need to read it (laughs) every day to get it from the pages of scripture into my heart and into my behavior why would God store something so valuable I mean the life of Jesus the good news of the gospel in a container so ordinary couple of reasons. Number one, so we keep perspective. So we keep perspective in life. The message of Jesus has been placed in something very common. Us, us. Isn't that amazing? When God has a treasure, where does he put it? In us. We might say in our world, not clay pots, we might say styrofoam cups or a plastic cup would you ever put a real treasure in a styrofoam cup or in a plastic cup I mean what could be more disposable than a little plastic cup and God has taken this precious treasure who Jesus is and he's pouring it into so to speak a styrofoam or plastic cup or a brown paper bag something as common as every day The container is common, but the contents are something else. They are eternal. In one of his books, uh, writer Robert Fulgham, I like this writer, tells the story of where, when his daughter was a little girl and gave him a paper bag to take with him to work. And when he asked what was in the bag, she answered, Just some stuff take it with you. And when he sat down for lunch at his desk the next day he pulled out the paper bag and he poured out its contents two ribbons, three stones, a plastic dinosaur, a pencil stub, a tiny seashell, used lipstick, two chocolate kisses, and thirteen pennies. Uh, He chuckled, finished his lunch, swept after everything off into the wastebasket. When he arrived at home that evening, his daughter asked him where the bag was. He said, well, I left the bag at the office. He said, why? Well, she said, those are my things in that bag, Daddy. The things I really like. I thought you might like to play with them, but now I want them back. When she saw him hesitate... Tears welled up in her eyes. You didn't lose the bag, did you, Daddy? You didn't lose that bag. He said he didn't. And he would bring it home tomorrow. After she went to bed, he raced back to the office. Fulgham writes, Molly had given me her treasures, all that a seven-year-old held dear, love in a paper sack. And I missed it. Not just missed it. I would thrown it away. Nothing in there I needed. It wasn't the first or last time I felt like my daddy permit was about to run out. I went back to the office, dumped all the waste baskets out onto my desk. The janitor came in and asked, did you lose something? Yeah, I said, my mind is probably in there too. When Fulgham found the bag, he uncrumpled it and filled it again with his daughter's items, two ribbons, three stones, a plastic dinosaur, a pencil stub, a tiny seashell, used lipstick, two chocolate kisses, and 13 pennies. He took the bag home, sat down with Molly, and had her tell him the story of every treasure in the bag. And then he writes, to to my surprise, Molly gave me the bag once again, several days later. Same ratty bag, same stuff inside. I felt forgiven. Over several months, the bag went with me from time to time. It was never clear why I did or did not get it on a certain day. I began to think of it as the daddy prize. And I tried to be good the night before so I could maybe get it the next morning and take it to work. In time, Molly turned her attention to other things. Lost interest in the game. Grew up. Me, I was left holding the bag. She gave it to me one morning and never asked for it back. It sits in my office still, left over from when a child said, here, this is the best I've got. Take it, it's yours. I missed it the first time, but it's my bag now. You see, God has given us this treasure. The treasure in a little crumpled brown bag and Jesus, His Son, the life of Jesus, resides in us. We have inside of us the very treasure of God. Listen to how Paul phrases it. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. You know, our culture has, has trained us to be container conscious, right? We're mindful of our exterior, our dress, our homes, our vehicles, our resume. Uh, It's just all around us. I mean, you can't live in this world without being aware of exterior. The treasure ought never to be mistaken for the packaging in which it comes. Because God says to us, you're clay pots. At times, uh, cracked pots. And it has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? I won't say it about you if you don't say it about me. Crack pots. Let's just say clay pots. We're we're as plain as brown paper bags. Not that we're not valuable, but don't confuse the treasure you carry for the system of conveyance, which you are. You see, it's humble, it's fragile to be a clay pot, But the treasure must never be forgotten. Don't forget what the treasure is. Remember, you contain it. You are not it. We deliver it. We don't manufacture it. We are not the source of it. We are the delivery system for it. It's what's inside. It doesn't make sense to place something so valuable in a container, so ordinary, unless, of course, you want people to notice the treasure and not the container. And that's why God does it. Imagine you're having guests for dinner, and you decide to make your specialty chicken-tasty-extraordinaire. I don't know if you'll ever find a recipe like that, but it's a family recipe that takes all day to prepare— but these guests are important so you're happy to do it and when it comes 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 time for dinner you bring in the main dish set it down in the middle of the table and your guests explain oh my look at that what a beautiful serving tray that is isn't that beautiful then they spend the rest of the time admiring the tray and the dish the platter that it's on where did you ever get that and they never say a word about the chicken and next time you fool them. You serve the chicken on a very ordinary looking platter so when no one notices the platter but they put their eyes on the chicken extraordinaire. So it is that God pours his life into ordinary containers like you and me. So people will praise him and not us. We are who we are only because of the treasure we carry within us. The life-giving power of Christ so does your container not present as well as it used to some wrinkles some arthritis some disease some brokenness some deep wounds from the past Some years of rough living? Never mind. It's not about you anymore. It's the treasure that people see. It's the power of Christ in your life. It's the transformation of Jesus. It's the power of the gospel in action. And look what God wants to do in the world because of the treasure in you. So don't get it confused. You are awesome because of Jesus. You are awesome because of Jesus. So first of all, perspective. Secondly, and I'll be fast, uh, progress. Our question is this. Why would God store something so valuable, the life of Jesus, in a container so ordinary? Even though our exteriors are often weak, or just when you think, oh, I'm so strong, I got this. I can tackle the world. Well, just when you say that, Just when you think that, just when you begin to act that way, along comes something that devastates us. And you never know when it's coming or where it's coming from. It's called trouble. It's called pressure. It's called stress. And here's how Paul describes it in verse 8. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down but we're not destroyed. Through suffering our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life, look at this, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. What? So that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Right these days my sister-in-law has a brother who's going through the worst nightmare he can't quit drinking he's been through the Vietnam War tells you his age he has PTSD uh, he's been drinking so much he drinks all day long through the night he's down to hundred and five pounds He's a pretty good-sized guy, like tall. He has no reason to live. You wanna say, but, 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 there's hope. Really, there's hope, there's a reason. Jesus is your reason. He'll fill your broken container, and he knows about Jesus. He'll be the light that shines into your life, and you'll see what a difference he can make. Pray for him. He was forced to go to the hospital He checked himself out because he's so stubborn. And then he got so sick that he just had to go back in again. Pray that even though the vessel is badly cracked, that he'll allow the treasure to come in, change his life. There's still hope. Hundreds of people attempt suicide in North America every day. Seventy to a hundred people succeed. Someone has coined a cynical truism. Life is terminal. You'll never get out alive. But we do have a choice. Do we go through life empty or full? Do you want to go through life with a fullness, a strength, an inner resolve, a joy that bubbles over? Or a life that is fragile, dependent upon circumstances and the stuff we put into our lives? Progress. Progress. It's not necessarily exterior. It's interior. The harder life gets, the more conspicuous the treasure becomes. The harder life gets, the more conspicuous the treasure becomes. That's a very important lesson for the Canadian church, the North American church. More fun to teach the healthy, wealthy, happy version. But it's just not true. In fact, part of the criticism leveled against Paul was the fact that he went through such pressure times in his life and 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 people said of him, well Paul, if you got it all together, if you're really following Christ, surely you shouldn't have any of these problems. What's wrong with your life, Paul? And Paul just pointed to the treasure. He just pointed to the treasure inside. And if Paul went through pressure and stress and conflict, surely we will too. The harder life gets, the more conspicuous the treasure becomes. That's the kind of progress that our hearts desires the progress that emerges from pressure. So if I could start the message all over again, here's what maybe God is reminding us of today, that the treasure of the life of Jesus is in you. It's in you. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies. You may say, yeah, but you don't know me. You don't know what I'm going through. I feel like my container is so banged up that I don't know what anybody could see in my life. I believe that at the root of many defeated Christians is the confusion of the contents and the container. Because we have a celebrity Christianity, it's only important if someone with status talks about it. It's only true if somebody who's famous can say something about it. It's only true if my life is spotless and perfect and I have never don't have any flaws. Hmm. You may have cancer today. You may be in doubt today. Everything that's meaningful and comfortable in your world may be crumbling. Your job may be at risk. Your children may be in rebellion. Your home may be experiencing stress. And when they ask the question, well, where's your treasure? The treasure is in a styrofoam cup. I don't have to tell you the container is fragile. Take the example of Paul. We have the treasure in a brown paper bag. And what we do is point to Christ and we say, he's my hope, he's my salvation, he's everything to me. So I'm just here to remind you this morning that the life of Jesus the treasure of the good news is in you. And, and when you think about that again, that gives you perspective. And it gives, makes you progress. You're not called to be famous. And you're not called to polish your container all the time. I mean, you need to care for it. But you are privileged to host the life of Jesus in you. And what a privilege that is. Here at the table this morning, we're reminded of our weakness This is a table this morning that is spread out for the weak, not the strong. Jesus gave his life on a cross for all of us, but he comes in strength and we come in weakness. And he comes in power and we come in brokenness. There was a pastor in Scotland in the late 1800s, I think his last name was Hunter, and he wrote these words... Those many years ago come to this sacred table not because you must but because you may come to testify not that you are righteous but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciples come not because you are strong but because you are weak not because you have any claim on heaven's rewards but because in your frailty and sin you stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help Come not to express an opinion, but to seek a presence and to pray for a spirit.